Again, huge thank you for your welcome, and it's it's great to be here with you and to be able to bring God's word to you. Let's ask for God's help as we come to His words. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures which testify to your Son, and we pray that you would help us to see Him, know Him. And love him better this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Controlling my own slides so it's someone else. Did I not send them? It's alright, don't worry. Didn't send them in time. So it's alright. There's two simple points and you'll remember them. Uh, there we go. Uh, we moved house last summer <laughs> and uh, I'm counting the number of houses I've lived in since I. Uh, since I left home for university and got, got this morning, and I got to I got to fourteen, which seems too many. Um, but anyway, we've been house last summer. We're hoping not to have to do it again for a long time. I'm not a huge fan of the buying and selling process, but one of the perils that you may experience is uh, when you buy a new house is, is the peril of the vortex that is right move, <laughs> right move the website. And in a website, if you haven't come across it, that basically gives you pictures and floor plans and maps and links to Google Street View for all of the houses that are for sale. And it is a massive time-wasting device. So uh, you can kind of spend ages looking. Even when you're not buying a house, it can be a tremendous time-wasting device. My auntie was telling me that she had uh, found the house. I told you my mum grew up in, in Ilkley. They found the house that they... Um, that they grew up in, and it was, it was. Let's just say it was significantly out of their price range now, um, and uh, it was very nicely done. Apparently, you could look through it. Uh, it's a massive time-wasting device, but it is genius. Been designed in a way that captures hearts far more than the old kind of. Do you remember the old trick you used to have to walk down the road and look in the estate agent's windows, uh, and uh, you know you don't have much time there. To consider things, to look carefully. Uh, but Rightmove is designed so that you can go back and open the page again and go, oh, what about the bathroom in this one? Do we like that? Is that garden big enough? And you begin to kind of uh, zone in on one or two that you like and be looking at them and looking at them and looking at them. The time and the space to think and think again so that they occupy your thoughts. And the creators of Rightmove, they know that what occupies your thoughts will capture your heart. And they hope, at least, that what occupies and captures your heart will determine the big purchasing decision that you're about to make. It's an advertising principle, but it's also a, a, a spiritual principle, isn't it? Whatever occupies our thoughts will capture our heart. Whatever captures our hearts will determine our de- decisions and ultimately our destiny. We're in the book of Hebrews this morning, the, the letter, or perhaps more accurately, the sermon uh, to the Hebrews, uh, which is, has been written uh, uh, to stop us drifting away from the Lord Jesus. So the chapter before, the one that we're in this morning, chapter 2, uh, warns us about the destiny of those who drift from Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Uh, all that awaits us is judgment. 
But on the flip side, in today's passage, we, we see that we have a heavenly calling. We, we share, as brothers and sisters in Christ, verse 1, a heavenly calling, a hope in which we glory, in which we boast, verse 6. If we want to avoid the drift in our own hearts, the danger that comes with it, and if we want to press on to the hope of heaven, well, we need to give attention to what occupies our thoughts. Uh, we need, chapter 3, verse 1, to consider Jesus. Uh, consider Jesus, or, or as the NIV puts it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Uh, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And that, right at the outset, um, is the application this morning. Uh, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. What does that mean? Consider Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Well, the word uh, that he uses here suggests careful, sustained attention. So the word is, it's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, consider the ravens or consider the, the wildflowers and how the wildflowers grow. And Jesus isn't saying, you know, take one passing glance at a raven and then kind of move on. He's saying, look at the birds of the air. Look at them again. Learn the lessons that they have to teach you. Again, it's the word that James uses in his letter for the man who looks intently into at his reflection in the mirror. The point is that he's, he's, he's looking carefully, beholding, staring. This is no passing glance, is it? But a long, hard look. Hebrews wants us to take a long, hard look at the Lord Jesus. Wants us to consider our Saviour carefully, to think of Him often, to turn over in our minds what we know of Him, and to gaze intently upon the portrait we have of Him in our Bibles. Now, this is a kind of thinking, isn't it, that we need to be reminded of, stirred up to, because all too easily our thoughts are occupied with other things. Christ is pushed to the margins of our minds. And that's not a new problem, is it? That's a problem in every generation. So Matthew Henry, commenting on this passage in the early 18th century, says, The best of Christ's people think too seldom and too slightly of him. The best of us. The best of us think too little of Jesus. But it is, I think, a particular a kind of particularly focused problem in our age, isn't it? We live in this, this hyper-connected, distracted age. So that we're going to have a, a, a huge fight to ignore the notifications, uh, to resist the pull of scrolling through uh, the next picture, in order to settle our minds, to contemplate, to consider Christ. Uh, perhaps here, uh, uh, some of us, you know, we've got this fight with our phones, haven't we, for, for our attention. And some of us, you need to enlist your phone in the fight against your phone, perhaps, so, you know, um, some of us, we, we set reminders that we have things that are important. So we've got our, our kind of wake-up alarm, but we've also got, um, Mary's got several alarms on her phone for kind of remembering to get the kids from school. Or it, She's recently had one that says, go to bed, which I think is a helpful one, <laughs> um, uh, which we both ignore far too often. But anyway, when you dismiss the alarm, uh, the alarm that says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, well then put the phone down. Uh, go to another room, get your Bible out, uh, 
Don't scroll to the Bible on your phone. Um, spend some time considering your Saviour. But what is it about Jesus? What is it about him that should capture our attention? Well, there are two uh, things this morning. But the thing that binds them together is that the, the key word in this passage, which is faithful. You see that in verse 2, Jesus was faithful. And again, we hear of the faithfulness of Christ in verse 6. And the faithfulness of Jesus, first as a mediator, so um, a mediator meaning someone who stands in the gap. So someone who uh, kind of is, is the, the go-between, the person who stands between God and us, the mediator. And then secondly as the son, the faithful son of God. So fix your thoughts on Jesus, the faithful one. Firstly, the faithful mediator. Look with me at verse uh, 1 and 2 again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Our Lord Jesus has given two titles here, and that both of them are unique to the book of Hebrews. He is our apostle and our high priest. An apostle um, is it's someone who is sent on a mission with a message. It comes from the word sent, or to send. Uh, so, uh, the delivery driver who knocks on your door is an apostle from Amazon. Uh, they have been sent uh, with a message, something to deliver to you. Uh, that is what an apostle does. And Jesus uh, is an apostle. So Moses is mentioned here. Moses was God's apostle, wasn't he? At the burning bush, God said, I am sending you, sending you both to declare God's judgment to Pharaoh and to proclaim God's salvation to the Israelites. And now we're being told that the climax of salvation history, Jesus Christ is our apostle, sent by God to us. But also he's our high priest, appointed by God to purify us from our sins. And to bring us to God. He's our apostle from God. He's our high priest to God. He's the one sent by God to bring us to God. And in that service, he is faithful. He's faithful just as Moses was faithful. Uh, the allusion is to the passage in Numbers. That's why we had it uh, read this morning, Numbers chapter 12. Uh, verse 7 in particular. Uh, and uh, I had it read there because the context is instructive, isn't it? So in Numbers 12, you've got a rebellion. Uh, Miriam and Aaron, uh, so Moses' uh, sister and brother, they come uh, talking against Moses. And it starts with a sort of racist accusation uh, uh, you know, that they don't like the ethnicity of his wife. But then the big question is, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he said things through us as well? And God declares that, that Moses is a unique bearer of revelation from God. Because why? Well, because he's one with whom God speaks face to face. One who sees the form of the Lord. Uniquely qualified to, to speak on behalf of God. The Apostle. Yeah, but then when the judgment falls on, on Miriam... It probably falls on, on Miriam particularly because she's 
kind of the ringleader of the, this rebellion, and she gets this, this leprous disease. And we, we see the other side of the faithfulness of Moses as he pleads. They, you know, they, they, Miriam and Aaron go to Moses and say, talk to the Lord for us. And Moses speaks on behalf of the people to God. So that in Moses you have one who is faithful to speak from God to the people, and one who is faithful to speak from the people to God. He's a go-between, a mediator, faithful to stand in the gap between God and man. Well, so too, Jesus Christ is faithful to stand in the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. Jesus brings the message of the gospel to us. He reveals God to us. And Jesus speaks for us. He pleads his own blood for us. He's our high priest, which is the the great theme of Hebrews in many ways. As we consider Jesus, as we fix our thoughts on him, well, we're considering someone who makes God known and someone who makes us acceptable to God. And you know, you won't find that someone by looking inside yourself, kind of gazing on your own inner thoughts. And you won't find that someone by looking around at the people around you, or the people you follow on social media, or the people on the news. We will only find that someone as we look up to Jesus Christ. He is the faithful mediator. But more than that, he is the faithful son. The faithful son. In verses 3 to 6. In verse 2, we had, um, we're told that Jesus was just like Moses. Just as Moses was faithful. Jesus was faithful. A faithful man to stand in the gap. But if you know the book of Hebrews, you know that the theme, you, the, uh, the summary of the theme is not just like. It is Better. Better. Uh, already, by this point in Hebrews, you, you've heard of Jesus being better than the angels. Uh, we'll hear of him being better than the Old Testament priests, better than the tabernacle, better than Joshua. And now we see, well, he is better than Moses. Uh, better than Moses. Not that Moses, or the old covenant that Moses uh, brought, not that those were bad things, it's a case of Good to better, not bad to good. But nonetheless, Jesus is better. Look at verse uh, verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God's. You might hear on the news, might we, of uh, uh, an architecture prize being awarded, and we, we, we sort of talk quite loosely, don't we? So we say, you know, Beach Hill Church, or sparkling new building, has been awarded a prize. Well, it hasn't been awarded to the to the building, has it? It's been awarded to the architect. That the money and the honour and the recognition doesn't ultimately go to the building, but to the architect. And Hebrews is saying here, saying, look, at Moses, just like you and me. Moses is part of God's grand design. He's part of the house that God is building for his name. Which is to say, the people of God throughout history. 
Because of course the house that God has designed, the, the temple for his glory, the dwelling place for his name, is it, the gathering of the people. And Moses, he's just one of God's people. An honoured servant among God's people, one of the greats, but nonetheless one of us. Jesus on the other hand, well Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus shares the nature of God, the builder of all things. We, we, we read there in verse 4, don't we, that every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. But, but if you if you track back through chapter 1, particularly, um, he's kind of majored on the fact that Jesus shares the nature of God, so that what he says of God here, he's the builder of all things, is true of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so worthy of much more honour. It may well be another allusion to the Old Testament here as well, so it's in the book of Zechariah, towards the end of the Old Testament, we're told of the Messiah, uh, the king, who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty, and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, striking, bringing together of king and priest together in one. Jesus is that, that king and priest, exalted to God's right hand, reigning on the throne with far greater honour than even the honoured Moses. And again, verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now we've seen that Moses and Jesus, they're both faithful in the task they've been given. They share a similar task, standing between God and man as mediator. The number of difference, though, Moses was bearing witness to things that were to be spoken later. He was speaking about another word that would be spoken in the future. And Moses, like the whole of the Old Testament, Moses looks forward and speaks of things to come. His words were designed to lead us to God's final, ultimate, perfect words. How does Hebrews open? In these last days he has spoken to us. By his Son. Jesus Christ is the Son, the final word from God, the, the, the full revelation of God. Now this is crucial for the first readers of Hebrews to grasp. That the clues in the titles in Hebrews, they were they were probably Jewish Christians tempted to drift back into the old ways, the old religion. And what he's saying is this, if you stop with Moses, if you fix your thoughts on Moses, if you fix your attention on the old covenant, well, you've got off the train too early. You haven't arrived at the final destination. Moses was not the climax of God's revelation to humanity. Jesus Christ is. Numbers 12 told us about Moses, some glorious things, didn't it? God that spoke with him face to face. But Jesus is better. Because in Jesus, God himself speaks with us face to face. Numbers 12 told us that Moses saw the form of the Lord. But Jesus Christ himself is the revelation of God. Anyone who has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. Jesus is better than Moses as a son is better than a servant. To fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't be content with the odd passing glance at Jesus. 
you know, like when you see someone that you know in a, in a crowded room but you don't have time to talk to them and you just kind of do that. Don't be content with doing that to Jesus. Look long and carefully at your Saviour, your Apostle, your High Priest, your King, your Lord, your God, the Builder of all things. And keep looking. Keep looking because, verse 6, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And once again, Hebrews is written with this great aim, stop to stop us from drifting. It is written to suffering and tempted believers to say, hold on. To say it's worth it. To say there is a hope to which you're called. There is a heaven to be gained. Don't give up. Stick with Jesus. But I think something happens in our minds often when we hear a call like that to perseverance, to holding on. Too often, I think, as Christians, we find ourselves looking at our hands. Do I mean by that? We kind of find ourselves looking at the grip that we have on Jesus. How is my grip on him? Am I holding on strongly enough? But I don't think that's the point, is it? It's not, hold on, hold on, hold on. It is, look to Jesus, consider him. Hold on to him who holds on to you. The confidence and hope that we are to hold on to are the achievements of our apostle and our high priest. We hold on to his sacrifice, perfectly made for us in the heavenly sanctuary. The sacrifice that has fully paid for all our sins. We hold on to his daily intercession for us as he brings us perfect into the presence of the Father. That means that and opens the access to God so that we can come to God and, and speak to the Father and find grace to help us that mercy in our time of need. Friends, we will not persevere in the strength of our holds, but in the strength of his. And I think that gets us something that is absolutely crucial in this, this book of Hebrews. That's something that I think is one of the, the, the Spirit's great gifts to us in this letter. Because you see, I think there's this danger that we can go... You know, we can go really hard on metaphors like running the race, fighting the fight, holding on. And those are all good and biblical metaphors, aren't they? And two of them are Hebrews metaphors, running the race, holding on. But we must not forget what fuels the race, what empowers the fight, what it is that we're gripping onto. Hebrews kind of double underlines for us the importance of Considering Christ, of fixing our thoughts on him, of drawing near. One of the great things in Hebrews that I love is, is, is his call to draw near to God. And that gives perseverance a very different flavour, doesn't it? Because I can, if I put it this way, it's, it's the difference between me waking up in the morning as a believer and thinking, right, another day in the Christian life. Let's do this. Come on. Come on. Come on, Dave. Got to do this. And, and kind of screwing up my resolve. Uh, versus that waking up in the morning and thinking, yes, another day in the Christian life. Yes, hard things to face, but let me fix my thoughts on Jesus. Turning first of all to him. And saying, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he everything that I need? 
was reading a book the other the other day that we're reading as elders, uh, little Mike Reed's book on, on it's called Authentic Ministry, and he um he has this convicting line. He says sometimes speaking particularly to preachers, but he says um, sometimes we're in danger of getting bored of Jesus, thinking that we know everything there is to know about him. He says, but he Jesus has delighted the Father since all eternity. And our boredom is just blindness. If we are bored of Jesus, if we think there's enough, then we, we, we'll go back to our resolve. <laughs> Come on. And that will not carry us through. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Persevere, yes. Press on, yes. But from that place of looking to him, of finding everything there is to be found in him. Well, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and thank you this morning that there is in you an infinite sufficiency for the whole of our lives. There is, for life and for eternity, there is more than enough in Christ, in you. And so we pray that we may look to you consider you, fix our thoughts upon you, and we pray that what our what we consider, what our thoughts are occupied with would captivate our hearts, inform our decisions, and decide our destiny for the good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.